Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show. My name is Jeffrey Binghamid, and I am your host. Now, today is July 18, 2021, Greenwich Founders Day. You know what? It was 381 years ago today that Greenwich, Connecticut, this place that we call home, was founded. I'm a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of this town, and it's my sincerest pleasure to welcome you. Whether you've been in Greenwich for 381 years, or for that matter, 381 seconds, we welcome you (laughs) with open arms. You're a part of our history. Congratulations. Now, this is one of America's most fascinating communities. Join us as we explore and celebrate an evolving understanding of our history and culture. I hope that you will find our journey together a fascinating and enjoyable one. So, my friends, without further ado, let's get started. Support is made possible by... Peter F. Alexander, you are the best. A member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association, he is the founder and principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect. He's been in business since 1979. He is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympic Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the Calf Island Conservancy here in Greenwich, Connecticut, its master plan, numerous residential projects, and really a whole lot more. I've spent some time with Peter F. Alexander. He's a very, very intelligent man, a very gregarious one, and knows a lot about landscape architecture. I have learned so much from him, and he's a terrific gentleman to do business with. You can learn more about this wonderful resident, Peter F. Alexander, who is such a mainstay here in Greenwich, at sitedesignassociates.com. That's site designassociates.com. You can also call him at 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. And please, by all means, when you do call Peter F. Alexander, be sure to mention that Jeffrey Bingham Mead sent you. Coming up on today's show. Beautiful work, The Art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes is on exhibit now at the Greenwich Historical Society, 42 Strickland Road in Coscob. Beautiful work examines the fruitful and fascinating history of gardens and landscapes in Greenwich from the backyard vegetable gardens that fed for the artists of the Coscob Art Colony to grand formal gardens designed by leading landscape architects of the 20th century. Joining me today on the Talk of the Town segment is Maggie Demick. She is the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society. Now, this exhibit features original design drawings, striking photographs, and preserved botanical specimens. They are included in this exhibit, celebrating the legacy of cultivating the land in Greenwich. This is a must-see. Learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Again, learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the July 4th Independence Day holiday, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to share with you how it was that Greenwich people celebrated the July 4 holiday 100 years ago. Have you been good? Well, I hope you have been. You know, it was 125 years ago that the Greenwich Police Department got its start, and it has a very colorful history. And uh, one of the things, of course, that makes the history of town very colorful are some of the um, uh, not-so-upright things that happen. So, guess what? On this program, we are going to have the historical police blotter. Yes, indeed, we are going to go back in time, and we are going to share with you how it was that uh, 
things didn't go quite right, stay tuned for that. And stay good. We want to make sure that 100 years from now, people are not going to be talking about you. When it comes to Greenwich history, my friends, there's lots to see and do. And I will be sharing news with you about some of the things that have been going on, about projects that are underway, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. My friends, please put this on your calendar for the upcoming week. The Greenwich Historical Society will feature music on the Great Lawn on Thursday, July 22nd, with a performance by Fairfield County's local cover band, Suburban Chaos, from 6 to 8 p.m. Marsha Selden Catering will provide picnics, which must be pre-ordered by Monday for Thursday's concert. Tickets are $10 for members, $20 for non-members. For more information and to make reservations, go to GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. That's GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. My friends, on this 381st Founders Day, congratulations are in order for the Greenwich Point Conservancy. Why? Well, Greenwich Free Press has reported that the Greenwich Point Conservancy has announced that on July 12, 2021, the National Park Service listed the Greenwich Point Historic District on the National Register of Historic Places. That's fantastic news. Now, Greenwich Point Park joins six other sites in Greenwich that the National Register lists as historic districts and 28 other individual sites that are also listed on the National Register. Greenwich Point Park is the first property in Greenwich to be added to the National Register since 2014, when the River Road Mead Avenue Historic District in Cascob was listed. The Greenwich Point Conservancy, working with the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office, began the process of nominating Greenwich Point Park and its historic structures and resources in 2015, with the filing of a National Register of Historic Places registration form with Connecticut's State Historic Preservation Review Board. The nomination incorporated research, photographs, and other information regarding areas of historic significance at Greenwich Point Park, focusing on architecture, landscape architecture, archaeology, and recreation. The details of the research can be found on the website of the Greenwich Point Conservancy, which is Greenwich point.org. Again, that's greenwichpoint.org. In 2015, Greenwich Point Park was listed on the State Register of Historic Places, and the nomination was thereafter forwarded to the National Park Service for inclusion on the National Register. The National Register of Historic Places is the federal government's official list of districts, sites, buildings, structures, and objects deemed worthy of preservation for their historic significance. Properties listed on the state or National Register of Historic Places may qualify for special grants and tax incentives and can also benefit from more flexible building codes in recognition of a property's historic value. When the Greenwich Point Conservancy was restoring the circa 1887 old barn at Greenwich, uh, at Greenwich Point, because Greenwich Point had been included on the, the State Register of Historic Places, the old barn was eligible for 
and received certain exemptions from FEMA requirements to, quote, lift, unquote, the building out of the flood zone. Uh, And by the way, it's reported that all of Greenwich Point is in a flood zone. The Greenwich Point Conservancy was eligible to apply for and received a $500,000 grant from the federal fund, from a federal fund, excuse me, created for the restoration of historic buildings that were damaged in Hurricane Sandy. Chris Franco, president of the Greenwich Point Conservancy, stated, and I quote, listing Greenwich Point on the National Register of Historic Places have been a goal, has been a goal of preservationists in Greenwich for a very long time. And many wonderful, dedicated people have contributed research, photographs, and other historical information to this effort. We thank all of them, and we congratulate the people of Greenwich for this wonderful recognition of our beautiful and historic Greenwich Point. We also thank the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office for their significant role in achieving the National Register listing. Unquote. In today's edition of the Greenwich Time, Ken Borsick reports that it was a momentous day for the Putnam Hill chapter of the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution, as it was announced that visitors are once again welcomed at the Putnam Cottage and Knapp Tavern Museum for tours by appointment. Congratulations! The chapter and the Israel Putnam House Association met at the Belhaven Club on June 17 to hold its election, conduct a regular meeting of business, and to serve a luncheon. Nearly 50 women from the Greenwich area attended, including new and prospective members. The guest speaker, Lee Kennedy, gave an informative presentation on the history of the American flag, and there was a welcome for the newly elected and installed board member, Bronwyn Rockefeller. The new board was also elected and installed for the Israel Putnam House Association with Dorothy Darlington as president, Barbara Sweetman Wolf as treasurer, Molly Kokoruda as secretary, and Evelyn Roberts, Gail Citarella, Victoria Hammett, and Cynthia Olson Gates as counselors. Now, the DAR also put out a call for new members. Membership is open to all women 18 years or older who can prove lineal descent from a patriot of the American Revolution. Interested women should contact Registrar Joan Marshall Kresap at jmcesqny at aol.com or by calling Katie Sumner at area code 203-637-5789. Again, that's 203-637-5789. Welcome to Talk of the Town on the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Here we engage in intimate conversation and commentary with Greenwich's movers and shakers in the areas of history, education, and historic preservation. We are privileged today to have Peter F. Alexander as the title sponsor of our show. He is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association. He is the principal at Site Design Associates. You can learn more at 
sitedesignassociates.com. You can call Peter F. Alexander at 203-869-8632. Again, you can contact him through sitedesignassociates.com or call 203-869-8632. My friends, beautiful work. The art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes is now on exhibit at the Greenwich Historical Society and will be until September 5th, 2021. Beautiful Work examines the fruitful and fascinating history of gardens and landscapes in Greenwich, from backyard vegetable gardens that fed for the artists of the Coscobart colony to grand formal gardens designed by leading landscape architects of the 20th century. Original design drawings, striking photographs, and preserved botanical specimens are included in this exhibition celebrating the legacy of cultivating the land in Greenwich. Well, I will tell you that I am I'm very privileged today to welcome Maggie Demick to the show. She is the Greenwich Historical Society's curator, and we're so delighted to have her with us today. Maggie, welcome to the show and for taking your valuable time to be with us. Tell us about yourself, your background, and your role with the Greenwich Historical Society. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show and to be able to talk about our latest exhibition at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, I am the curator of exhibitions and collections at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, and what that means is I'm responsible for overseeing our program of rotating exhibitions in our museum and library building where we have two galleries, one of which is dedicated to our permanent collection of artworks um, and museum objects um, from our permanent collection. Um, we specialize in, in collecting and interpreting the history of the Coscob art colony um, that's associated with the Bush-Holly house, of course, um, as well as, as sort of telling a broader story of Greenwich history through um, various historic objects and photographs, archival collections, uh, museum collections. Um, but I oversee um, our primarily our rotating exhibition program, so that means um, different exhibits that we have in our special exhibitions gallery in the museum building. Um, but my other, the other side of my job is overseeing and sort of caring for our museum collection. So we have we have an archival collection that my colleague Christopher Shields, who's our curator of archives, oversees in our archives and library space. Um, I'm responsible for the care and, and um, interpretation of our museum collection. So that includes um, artworks, fine and decorative arts, um, all of the furnishings and artworks that are on view in the Bush Holly House a Historic House Museum, um, as well as collection objects that are not on view. So we, like a lot of institutions, have a lot of objects in our collections that are in storage. Um, these are textiles, historic costume, furniture, tools, farming implements, um, artworks, you know, fine art, uh, works on paper, paintings, um, all sorts of things. So I, um, I, I really deal with, with things. So I'm, I deal as a curator and a collections manager with our collection uh, objects and then also get to work with um, sometimes guest curators who uh, do work in our galleries, but also I, I curate shows as well. And in fact, the, the show that we're talking about today, um, Beautiful Work, The Art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes, is a show that I curated. Um, and it's primarily drawn from pieces from our permanent collection. 
um, with a couple of, of um, individual key loans that are helping us tell that story. What was the genesis of this exhibit and who are its sponsors and underwriters? Um, so the idea for the exhibition has been one um, that's that's been in the air here at the Historical Society for several years. Uh, I've been here in my role for about 18 months. Um, and even when I was kind of new to the job, we were talking about the idea for this show um, and having a, a major interest in speaking to this legacy of grand garden design in the early 20th century at many of these, you know, very gracious estates that, that bubbled up around Greenwich um, in those early decades of the 20th century and late 19th century. Um, and that's a story that I think we knew we could tell through design drawings, through blueprints, historic photographs, um, pieces from our archival collections. Um, but gradually, as we kind of shaped the idea, and as I thought, you know, from a curator's perspective about how to tell a broader story that wasn't necessarily focused exclusively on, you know, grand country estates and, and landscape design, um, it, it's an idea that really grew to encompass a broader topic of, of cultivating land um, in this partic particular area. Um, and this transition from 18th century family farms to 20th century estates, uh, summer vacation properties. Um, I should say we're also, you know, as part of this show and something that I was really interested in foregrounding is talking about the history of our own gardens at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, the ones that you can see today if you come visit the museum in our, our historic campus. Um, and in particular, how we've interpreted our landscape and gardens, taking cues from what we know about the vegetable gardens and the flower gardens that were cultivated, um, particularly by the Holly family, the Holly and McRae families, uh, who lived here in the late 19th, early 20th centuries at the Bush Holly House, um, what we now interpret as the Bush Holly House um, as a historic house museum. The Hollies, of course, were operating the boarding house, um, which was really kind of the center of the Coscop art colony of American Impressionist painting um, that we now are, are so familiar with. Um, and crucially, I think that um, this exhibition kind of then became, uh, became an opportunity to look at artworks that were inspired by that garden that the Hollies cultivated, um, but also kind of looking at some of those primary sources, whether it's it's photographs or artworks or journals or ledgers or diaries that kind of give us an idea um, of what those gardens looked like and, and have shaped the way that we've planted them and designed them today. Um, the show has been really generously supported by um, a couple of organizations locally here and then some key individuals, and that includes the Overhills Foundation, Charles Hilton Architects, um, who've been a great supporter of a lot of projects that we've been doing here at the Historical Society, um, and then also um, Fred Landman and Elise and Paul Tallman, who are both uh, big supporters of, of gardens, garden histories, and obviously um, great promoters of, of a love of gardens here in our community. In the spotlight on the archives section of the Greenwich Historical Society's latest newsletter, it mentioned some details of the research conducted for this exhibit. And I was wondering, Maggie, if you would share some details with us. Um, well, that's a great question. And actually, I think it's, um, it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about the kind of uh, collaborative process that often goes into putting an exhibition together. Um, this is a show that I I had undertaken um, and curated. It was it's as I had mentioned it's it's sort of been in in germination for a long time. We knew that we had a lot of interesting objects or archival resources and and 
design drawings, architectural plans that could tell a story of, of gardens and garden design in Greenwich, um, especially in our archives. Um, so I, I went into this knowing a bit about that and sort of having a background in in the history of, of estate architecture and, and some gardening history in the late 19th, early 20th century in this, this era of kind of the great country place, um, especially among the wealthy in a place like Greenwich, which obviously attracted a lot of um, very wealthy businessmen and their families. Um, but I, I really found out a lot that I didn't know, or I, I should say that I was able to connect with a lot of material in our collection that, that we didn't really necessarily even know that we had or, or put two and two together um, before working on this exhibit. And I was really assisted in a lot of ways by um, two of my coworkers, uh, Kelsey Dalton and Leslie Albemont, who are both working with uh, Christopher Shields, our archivist, on a big project to both uh, process um, some major collections in the in the archives that hadn't yet been processed before, and then also scan and digitize those collection objects, um, primarily photographs, but also real estate records, um, having to do with Greenwich properties going back to the early 20th century. Um, so in the process, Kelsey and Leslie have been finding a lot of things, you know, architectural plans, landscape plans. Um, we found um, Leslie had come across at one point uh, a garden design that was put together by the Olmsted Brothers firm for an architect that uh, lived in Greenwich in the 1920s that I don't think any of us had ever seen before. Um, which kind of led down a rabbit hole of research into not just work um, that the Olmsted Brothers had done um, as as designers or or um, working with clients in Greenwich, but also some of the gardeners and landscape um, professionals that they worked with here, um, which kind of gave an opportunity to talk about um, that aspect of of garden design, not just the ones that are designing it from you know an office from afar, but really getting their hands dirty and actually executing these designs. Um, we were also coming across a lot of great photographs of properties and gardens, some of which were designed by really prominent garden designers of the early 20th century. Um, Ellen Biddle Shipman, Marion Kruger Coffin, um, both of whom did a lot of uh, gardens that we knew about, um, especially Shipman gardens that were here in Greenwich, but um, weren't necessarily photographed or, or the photographs may not have been published before. Um, and it was sort of exciting to unearth some of these things and, and use them as a way of kind of um, generating ideas for what we were going to cover in the show. Um, so that process of of diving into the collections and, and finding new things and thinking about how they can help tell a story is always the part that's really exciting. And it's it's fun to be able to work with um, with other people in that process, for sure. For generations, gardening has held a prominent place in Greenwich's history and local culture. And of course, you can't garden without tools, right? So Maggie, would you talk to us about some of the garden tools that are on display? We've got some great tools. Not all of them are strictly gardening tools, many of them were actually used um, in, in farming, um, but the Greenwich Historical Society has a, a pretty extensive tool collection, and in the exhibit we were able to put together what I think is a, a really cool display of uh, you know, cutting tools like scythes and corn knives, um, hay forks, rakes, grain shovels, um, all of which were were dating to many of them the mid to late 19th century. Many of them were handmade, hand carved from in some cases, uh, or in the case of that grain shovel I mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, 
a single piece of wood. A lot of these tools that we have in our collections have ties to particular 19th century family farms. Um, for example, the Oliver Mead Farm on Field Point. Um, and that house, the, the Oliver D. Mead House, as it's often called, which dates to the late 18th century, is still standing today in, in what is today part of the Belhaven neighborhood. Um, so one thing, for example, you can see in the show is a 19th century corn sheller that came from the barn of that Mead family farm. Um, and the corn sheller is this this really pretty big contraption. It's like a big box, and there's a, a large cast iron crank uh, and a set of of gears. Um, so basically, it's it's one of these tools that you could use. You'd throw a corn on the cob in the top, and it um, when you turn the crank, it removes the corn and spits out the empty cob. Um, you know, some of these are just beautiful objects to be able to see sort of in a, in a gallery context. We also have a great cider press um, in the show, you know, I, Greenwich being such a center for apple production, especially in that, that period of late 19th, early 20th century. Um, in particular, um, the, the types of apples that were often grown in Greenwich were particularly good for cider making. Um, so, so the cider press and, and some of those sort of accoutrements that go with that really speak to that part of a agricultural history um, here here locally, and which kind of undergirds a lot of what we're talking about. <clears throat> excuse me, in in getting onto um, garden design um, on a different kind of scale um, in the early twentieth century. My friends, you are listening to Talk of the Town on the Greenwich of Town for All Seasons show with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. That's me, your host, and we are talking with Maggie Demick. She is the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society, and we are talking about its current exhibition, Beautiful Work: The Art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes, which is on view at the Greenwich Historical Society until September fifth. 2021. You can learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Today's show is generously sponsored and underwritten by Peter F. Alexander. He is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association. He is the principal at SiteDesignAssociates.com. You can learn more at SiteDesignAssociates.com or call 203-869-8632. Maggie, it seems to me that that in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, gardening and horticulture became more professionalized. That coincides with the Great Estates era. Am I correct about that? If you would, talk to us about some of the outstanding landscape designs and designers that are featured in this exhibit. So that's very true. The profession of landscape design and landscape architecture, as we know it today, really came into being in those last few decades of the 19th century. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with Frederick Law Olmsted, um, who's often considered the father of American landscape architecture. Um, Olmsted really rose to prominence in the 1860s when he and a partner, Calvert Vox, produced the design that was used uh, for New York's Central Park, um, and they really directed that project and had a major hand in its execution. Olmsted was actually from Connecticut. He was born in Hartford. Um, but he based his company up in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. And Olmsted himself never designed any parks or landscapes here in Greenwich, but his son, Frederick Law Olmsted Jr., did. Uh, in fact, both of Olmsted's sons carried on his legacy, and their firm, which was called the Olmsted Brothers, became really the foremost landscape architectural business in the country um, from the first decade of the 1900s well into the 1950s. And that era really coincides with the period when Greenwich was seeing 
many of these, you know, these newly moneyed New York businessmen and financiers, industrialists who were coming to town, they were hiring fashionable architects to build these gracious country estate homes um, in a style that's often borrowing from European precedent. And many of those folks were eager to hire these fashionable landscape architects to execute extensive formal gardens or sometimes just to shape the land that was surrounding their home into this, you know, what what both they and these these landscape designers envisioned as kind of a pastoral refuge from the urban environment. So the Olmsted brothers uh, had several commissions in Greenwich in the 19-teens, 1920s. I think a lot of folks know that they laid out the landscaping and the uh, basically the the sort of whole shape of the land in the exclusive subdivision called Cackham Wood um, here in Greenwich. But uh, what I think might might not be as widely known is that the Olmsted brothers were commissioned by Greenwich's board of selectmen in the 1920s to design a waterfront park at Greenwich Harbor. If you come to the exhibit, what you'll be able to see are, um, I think, a really cool set of drawings that the Olmsted office prepared to basically sell the town officials on this plan that they concocted. And this consisted of proposals for incorporating, for example, a, a big waterfront bandstand, these meandering walking paths that would go along the water, um, the European-inspired rows of trees along the harbor front. Um, all of this would extend and connect down to the train station. Um, so sadly, the plans never actually came to fruition. I mean, the stock market crash in 1929 really slowed down all of those plans for development um, and really kind of ground to a halt. Um, but the, I should say, you know, I've, I've spoken about the Olmsted brothers quite a bit, um, but they're far from the only landscape architects who are working in Greenwich in the early 20th century. Um, so again, if you, if you do come to see the show, you'll see some beautiful layout drawings, sketches, um, beautifully illustrated, um, you know, hand-drawn pencil renderings of, uh, designs by, uh, some of these really sort of greats of the field, folks like Warren Manning and Bryant Fleming. Um, in particular, uh, Manning and Fleming were both, um, working at various points on a private estate that was owned here in Greenwich, uh, by Elon Huntington Hooker and his wife Blanche Ferry Hooker. Um, this is a, a, hom a home that they called Chelmsford. <clears throat> and there's some just absolutely gorgeous design drawings for that, for that project that we've got here on display. Uh, you can also see photographs and architectural plans for the estate in Ennis Arden. And this, of course, is the, the home, the really beautiful sort of idiosyncratic home that was built for J. Kennedy Todd on the piece of land um, that's even now today often called Todd's Point, now the, the beachfront park that's, um, that's officially called Greenwich Point. And in that case, the, the noted landscape designer, <clears throat> excuse me, Marion Kruger Coffin, designed a beautiful garden um, overlooking Long Island Sound for the Todds in about 1920. Um, Coffin uh, is, is a fascinating figure, and she's one of several American women who gained prominence working in the field of landscape architecture. Um, you know, others that people may have heard of, for example, are Ellen Biddle Shipman, who also designed landscapes and gardens for clients in Greenwich, um, Beatrix Farrand. Uh, Garden design and landscape architecture was certainly a field where women of this era, or or at least you know women of a certain socioeconomic class, uh, found that it was possible to actually cultivate a professional career um, in an era when it was still pretty novel for women to be able to support themselves or hold 
you know, a prominent role in, in the business field. Um, so that's absolutely, I think, an interesting facet of, of the history of this era um, and, and the people who are practicing landscape architecture um, at this time. As the headquarters of the American Impressionist Art Colony, Bush Holly House was the setting for fine examples of artistic expression. Um, and I was wondering how that was represented in this exhibit. Absolutely. So um, I would say really um, the, the important legacy of the Bush Holly House as a place that has such great significance in the history of American art, particularly American Impressionist art, um, it's so often in the forefront of, of our interpretation here at the Greenwich Historical Society, and that's certainly the case in this exhibit too. Um, I had mentioned that the Holly family were dedicated gardeners, and so we know that they maintained a really extensive vegetable garden um, behind the, the house, um, what they referred to as the old house, which we sometimes refer to as the Holly house, or, or today, obviously, it's the Bush Holly house. Um, so we know a bit about this garden. Um, we, can, we can see it in photographs um, of the time. We actually, in the exhibit, you'll be able to see um, some, some diaries that were maintained by Edward Holly um, that actually record what they were planting in that garden, when they were harvesting from the garden, um, they really relied on that garden to supplement the meals that they were preparing for either their boarding guests or or sometimes you know other folks who were who were staying in Coscob locally who would come and take meals at the boarding house. Um, and this is a garden that can be seen depicted in several artworks um, on exhibit as part of this show. Um, one of those is a pastel drawing by the noted impressionist artist Child Hassam who was a frequent guest and a boarder um, with the Hollies and, and was quite close with the Holly family. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful pastel that actually is depicting not, not just the gardens, but also the, um, the sort of chicken yard. Um, so the kind of, you know, the sort of backyard where, where um, they were, you know, they had animals, they had, they had gardens back here. Um, and it's just, you know, it's one of these kind of beautiful kind of pastel studies dated to about 1902. Um, by Hassam. So that's something that people can see in the exhibit. Um, another is a painting by Elmer Livingston McRae um, that shows a view of the gardens and especially the grape arbor that stood behind the Holly House. And that same, well, well not the same arbor itself, but those same grape vines um, are still there today. Uh, the arbor has been reconstructed. Um, in fact, just recently, a few years ago, we undertook a major reconstruction of the grape arbor to hold up those, in some cases, 100-year-old conquered grape vines. Um, Elmer McRae, uh, the painter I mentioned, uh, was a student of John Henry Twachtman's, the, the, the noted Impressionist painter Twachtman, who, who lived here in Greenwich. Um, and who basically really kind of started what we now refer to as the Coscob colony, um, because he began bringing students out from his classes at New York's Art Students League. Um, they would come out often taking the train um, during the summers to do summer painting courses that Trockman would lead, and many of them would, would board with the Hollies um, at the, the Holly House. And Elmer McRae was one of these students, um, but he, in fact, after, after coming out here for several summers, he got to know and then really fell in love with uh, the Holly's daughter, Constant Holly. Um, and he, uh, he married Constant Holly in 1900, 
uh, moved here. This became his home. Um, and really, he and Constant took over eventually the running of the family's boarding house. Um, so Constant really kind of took over the the feeding and, and taking care of everyone and keeping the house. Um, Elmer was, you know, continued to, to paint, um, uh, to work in pastels. He actually as I'll get into, I think a little bit later, um, got into furniture making as well, but he was, he was obviously, um, called upon to, to help with the, the running of the boarding house as well, especially in cultivating the family's gardens. Um, but another thing I should mention, if you, if you come to the exhibit, you'll be able to see some of Elmer's floral studies. Um, so he really became fascinated with floral painting, um, painting flowers in in a very Japanese inspired manner, you know, often in watercolor, and he produced really hundreds of these floral studies, um, several of which we have in our collections today in the in the historical society. And in in this way, he was, you know, I mentioned he was clearly inspired by Japanese brush painting, but in this regard, I think he was definitely influenced by a fellow artist and a friend uh, by the name of Genjiro Yeto who was a Japanese painter, a Japanese artist, who had uh, come to the United States in the 1890s and eventually found himself in New York, where he, he also became a student um, alongside Elmer McRae at the Art Students League. So he was studying with Twachtman. He was coming out um, to Cos Cobb. He was, he was staying at the Holly House. He was very much um, you know, one of the, the artists who really kind of made up this, this group of artists that, that were the core of this art colony. Um, and we actually have a, a couple of beautiful uh, floral studies by Genjiro Yeto, which are on display as part of this show alongside Elmer McRae's floral studies. Um, just, I think, to, to give a sense of, of how they were looking at one another's work um, and sort of where these ideas were coming from. Um, so obviously, both of them kind of drawing inspiration from the garden from from the outdoors um and i think it just sort of speaks to that that back and forth when we talk about you know artistic creativity versus the sort of design uh creativity that goes into putting together a garden there's obviously kind of a, a synergy and a, a conversation there and i think it's something we're encouraging people to think about in the show tell us about the dried botanical specimens that you have in the exhibit yeah those um those botanical specimens i think are are one of the really exciting things to be able to come and see um, in the show for those who have an opportunity to come see the gallery see the show in person I think they'll they'll really find them or at least I hope they'll find them interesting um there there's a great story behind those in that they were actually discovered uh, by historical society staff or volunteers in the late 1980s in an attic space in the Bush Holly house um so at the time they had been uh, they were there were I should I should sort of backtrack a bit and say that we have about a half dozen of these specimens that are on view right now in the gallery, but these come from a larger collection of close to 50 dried, uh, pressed, and, and now mounted botanical specimens. Um, and as I said, they were discovered in a, in a closet in the attic. Um, at the time that they were discovered, they'd been pressed between newspapers. Um, and the newspapers were dated between, I believe, 1892 and 1894 which gave, you know, at least an approximate uh, date for when we think that they were, they were collected and pressed. And all signs point towards them having been collected by Constant Holly McRae. 
or at the time this would have been Constant Holly because this would have been before her marriage to the artist Elma McRae. Um, Constant was the daughter of, of Edward and Josephine Holly, who were the, the owners of and proprietors of the, the boarding house that they operated out of um, the, the house that we now interpret at the, as the Bush Holly house. Um, and while they were while they were running in that boarding house, of course, it became, um, as we were talking before, the sort of center for the, the Costco art colony. Um, Constant Holly, we know, was interested in, in botany. She was taking some botanical courses when she was younger. Um, and so it really stands to reason that she was she was the one who was out there uh, collecting these um, various plant specimens, um, all of which seem to have been collected somewhere in the vicinity of Coscob. Um, you know, all of these are, are specimens that would have been found just sort of in, in this um, pretty hyper-local region at the time. Um, they were, once they were discovered, they were actually mounted onto herbarium paper very carefully um, by, a, by a botanist who was um, uh, helping the Historical Society, um, but she was actually based at the Bartlett Arboretum in Stamford. Um, so they're beautifully mounted. Each of them are identified by their um, scientific name. Um, and so today they're presented in a very professional way. Um, when they were discovered, they weren't they weren't really mounted in that same way, but they were they were beautifully preserved, having been you know protected from from sunlight um, and given some given some level of protection by being in a in a closet. Um, but they're they're just completely. I mean, you can imagine they're so fragile. You know. They're really, really special, but we're we're always kind of concerned about um, how much handling they they have or they see how much light they're exposed to. Um, so to be able to have them out for this show is really kind of a treat. Um, Maggie, when I visited the exhibit, I was fascinated by the projected images on hand tinted glass lantern slides, and I was wondering if you would talk to us about these, please. Uh, well, I'm really glad that you asked about those. Uh, because I do think they're really a unique part of the exhibition. Um, certainly, you know, one thing that that I was concerned about and, and the exhibit design team that we work with, um, I think, also had some some concerns about was that, you know, in, in dealing with a topic that's so, you know, lush and kind of interesting and, and full of life as, as you know, gardens and, and, and the outdoors, um, Sometimes when you're displaying objects or especially displaying archival material, it can start to feel kind of dry, you know, very uh, paper based. Um, and so we thought it was really essential to kind of bring a sense of color and life and the outdoors to the exhibit. And certainly, you know, anyone who who's doing research into especially historic garden design um, and, and, and looking at uh, the sort of legacy of early 20th century landscape architecture on a, on a very grand scale. Um, at some point, you're going to encounter some of these beautiful hand-tinted glass lantern slides, which um, in the 19-teens and 1920s were kind of one of the most reliable and became a very typical way of recording um, what these gardens that were, that were, you know, coming up on these great estates really looked like. Um, you know, this is an era that kind of predates, you know, what we consider modern color photography. Um, the Garden Club of America had uh, amassed basically a huge collection of these, um, these, these hand-tinted glass lantern slides of American gardens, um, basically put together a, a library that was often used by, you know, 
garden experts or garden clubs um, to put together, you know, illustrated lectures for their membership talking about garden design across the country. Um, you know, there there are many people out there who who came to be, you know, experts in American gardens who would who would lecture on this topic. You know, they were really in demand among American garden clubs, among you know museums or other civic groups. Um, and so the Garden Club of America's collection of these slides, you know, which numbers into the thousands, is now part of the Smithsonian Institution. And so even now today, um, you can find online if you if you go searching through the Smithsonian's digital collections, a lot of these um, these these lantern slides. They're all organized by location, um, and that was really a big resource for us, just kind of trying to find you know color images of some of these gardens that I was researching here in Greenwich. Um, and trying to to include those in the exhibition. And the idea was, let's actually sort of use them in the way that they were meant to be seen, which is projected, um, you know, we're not using an actual, you know, uh, a lantern projector where we, you know, we have digitized versions of these images that we're using a modern, you know, digital projector to, to put up on a sort of a custom screen. But we thought it would just be kind of another layer of, of um, of imagery and kind of um, atmospheric background. And some of the images that are actually projected in the gallery, um, it's it'll cycle through different div different imagery, you know, as you're there visiting. A lot of these are, are actual Greenwich subjects, you know. In one case, we, we have um, a couple of beautiful images of the uh, estate that I had mentioned earlier, Chelmsford, um, which was the home of Elon Huntington Hooker. And it was beautifully photographed by a photographer by the name of Francis Benjamin Johnston. Um, in about 1914. And Johnston was a, a notable photographer who, who became quite famous, not only for her garden photographs, but also for um, just, you know, sort of portrait photography. She photographed a lot of, you know, writers and politicians and other celebrities of her era. And her glass lantern slides, which she, um, she often herself was, was an in-demand lecturer. She would, she would tour, the, tour the country and give these um, lectures on American gardens. All of her slides are now in the collection of the Library of Congress. And once again, you can find those online. They've been beautifully digitized. Um, so we have some of her slides that are included in that group. Um, we also have um, images of the, the gardens of a woman named Alice Lockwood. Um, who lived in Greenwich. In fact, she was at one point a, a president of the Greenwich Garden Club. Um, Lockwood was one of the leading authorities in the early 20th century on the history of American gardens. In fact, she published a book in 1931 called Gardens of Colony and State, which, you know, it's it's one of these large, you know, thousand page, um, you know, tomes on on the sort of the, the research that she put into kind of putting together documentation about these large estate gardens going back to the 18th century and then in the, the, the United States and the American colonies. Um, it's still really one of the kind of um, leading uh, resources on garden history. Um, and Lockwood lived here in Greenwich, and, and so we've got some images of her gardens that are included um, in that group of, of color photographs that you can see projected in the gallery. Tell us about some of the other interesting objects displayed, such as the garden furniture. I think it's great that you singled um, those pieces out, uh, in particular those, those pieces of garden furniture. Um, this is an exhibit that offered us, you know, from a curatorial perspective, a great opportunity to display some really unique objects from our collections. So these, um, these pieces of furniture that you mentioned includes um, a large, almost, really almost throne-like painted chair, 
um, which is which is made of carved wood. It's painted white, and then it's um, also further decorated with a, a very sort of elaborate painted floral motif. Um, it was designed, it was built and painted by the artist Elmer Livingston McRae, who I'd mentioned before, of course. Um, and also with that chair, we're also displaying a really kind of special, very small two-person bench. Um, this is also by by Elmer McRae, a bench that was built and carved by McRae. And in fact, it features, um, it's kind of a simple design, but on the on the back rail of the bench, there are a series of relief carvings that depict um, a set of cats, um, little cats that are kind of playing with one another. And uh, both of these pieces of furniture we know were meant for outdoor use. In fact, we have uh, photographs or at least one photo of that cat bench or a bench that looks very much like it um, placed on the rear porch of the Bush Holly House. Um, and it's a photograph that's probably from the maybe late 19-teens or early 1920s. Um, and we also know that painted chair um, that we're displaying, that the chair with the floral motifs, is one of several that McRae made um, in the 1920s and 30s. Um, and in fact, if any of your listeners have ever been to the Bush Holly House or visited um, before and, and gone on a tour, they would have had an opportunity to see um, a number of of wood carvings, um, you know, sort of sculptural wooden pieces or or items of furniture that the artist Elmer McRae had made. Um, we know that McRae, especially later in life, um, sort of got a lot more interested in woodworking um, as well as painting. I mean, he's he's someone that we kind of consider, you know, often a painter or pastel artist, but. Um, you know, he really kind of branched out into other forms of, of handicraft later in life and probably influenced by, for example, the American Arts and Crafts movement, just this this kind of interest in in um, applying, you know, some of his his artistic ideas to other forms of of uh, of making, including furniture making and wood carving. Um, so I think that that aspect of his life and then also just that um, kind of eye towards um, existing with the outdoors and kind of bringing the outside in and the inside out, I think are, are kind of represented in our show with those two furniture examples. Maggie, as we start to close, I was wondering if you would spend a moment or two and share some details about the guided outdoor historic site and landscape tour. Well, the site and landscape tour is a, a, new, a new project that we really piloted last summer. Um, so we were developing this essentially because um, last summer when uh, even even as we were able to start reopening to the public after you know our closure in the spring of 2020 due to the pandemic, um, last summer we were still suspending tours of the Bush Holly House just out of COVID concerns. Um, and we really wanted to offer some kind of alternative visitor experience. And what we developed was a guided tour that spoke to that history of the Coscob Lower Landing and the Bush family's mercantile business in the era of the Revolutionary War, as well as the Holly family's boarding house and the emergence of the Coscob art colony. Which, and of course, these are these are sort of aspects of, of local history that under different circumstances visitors would have gotten during a visit to the Bush Holly House. Um, so, so that's that was really the genesis of the tour. Um, but we we got a lot of great response, and I think that it was something that we wanted to continue this summer. 
And it's a great accompaniment to visiting the exhibit, um, our garden exhibit, since our docents, um, our docent tour guides on that landscape tour are really able to give visitors a background on the historic gardens and the plantings that are today on our site surrounding the Bush Holly House that um, really kind of have in and of themselves a historic nature. So for example, we have you know grape vines, conquered grape vines on a, a, our grape arbor that some of which date back to about you know, 100 years old uh, because they were, we know that some of them at least were planted by the hollies or the McRae's. Um, but we also have really beautiful heirloom vegetable gardens that are planted based on, you know, the location and what we know about the, the Hollies gardens. Um, also beautiful floral gardens that are really kind of trying to, uh, they're planned today in order to kind of evoke that really, um, you know, sort of free, um, un, you know, informal, uh, uh, almost cottage style garden that was really popular among someone, you know, like Constant Holly McRae of that era. It's sort of very popular um, as a subject for, for a lot of these impressionist artists who are staying with the Hollies. Um, and one thing I will say is that visitors who come to the site today, um, be sure to pick up, we have a beautiful new publication, basically a, a guide to our historic gardens and landscapes. It's a a really nice brochure that we put together especially for this summer. It gives a little bit of historic background on the interpretation of our gardens today, um, but there's also a lovely map inside that kind of um, indicates where on the site you can see different garden spaces, um, gives a little bit of identification to, for example, some of the fruit trees that are that are on the site today. Um, and it's just, I think it's it's a really nice way of giving yourself even kind of a self-guided version of that landscape tour that we've been offering. As we conclude, what is the takeaway for visitors you and the Greenwich Historical Society are striving for? What is the takeaway? Uh, you know, I, I can speak for myself in saying that this exhibit, you know, just from a research perspective um, and planning perspective, is something that was birthed, you know, during quarantine, you know, during a, a pandemic year. Um, and I know that a lot of us, you know, were forced to kind of reassess how we spend our time, how we interact with others. Um, I think a lot of people turned inward and, and, you know, I think a lot of people really got into gardening or, or, you know, making the most of time that was spent at home and kind of digging into, literally digging into the dirt of their yards, maybe starting a vegetable garden or, or just getting, you know, a lot more into the, the plantings around their, their property if they, if they have it, or even just sort of cultivating maybe a little balcony garden. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, putting an exhibit together that's, that's on a, a topic like this is always an opportunity to kind of find connections in the past. And I think that, you know, with the, the diversity of material and, and different kind of uh, perspectives about gardening or interaction with, with the outdoors or with landscape, whether it's from the perspective of a landscape architect um, or, or an artist who's kind of, you know, deriving subject matter or inspiration from, you know, a, a cultivated garden, um, there are a lot of different ways that we're seeing where people kind of find meaning um, in the outdoors and in in that garden space. And I think that's that's something that we can really relate to today. 
And that's really what this is about, you know, is, is drawing a meaningful connection to the past and kind of being able to see oneself in the past and then, and then develop a better understanding of, of the present day. Um, so I would say, you know, this, anyone who has an interest in gardening and horticulture, I think will find a lot to be interested in in this exhibition. Um, but even if you kind of don't think that, that that is you, if you don't necessarily have that background interest, but do have an interest in history, I think there'll be something um, for you to delve into. Um, and, and being able to kind of think about the outdoors and think about the outside was, was something that was certainly an inspiration for me while working on this show. And I hope it, um, it comes across in the exhibit. The last words are yours. Any final comments? All right. Uh, any final comments? Uh, I would say um, certainly we're looking forward to seeing people visit this summer at the historical societies. There's a lot of opportunities to visit this summer. Um, not only to view the exhibit, but we're also, every other Wednesday, we're holding a, a series of these really great tavern markets, which are kind of a combination farmers and artisan markets that are taking place in our lobby and in the, the tavern garden just outside the lobby. Um, and then also this summer, we're continuing um, what was also a new project that, that came into fruition last year, which is our summer concert series on the Great Lawn. Um, and so these feature, you know, live music from a bunch of great local artists. People can bring a picnic and a blanket or chairs um, and enjoy a nice, a nice music uh, event under the stars or, or sort of there in the in the gardens. Um, so lots of opportunities to come. Um, the thing I, I want to mention is um, we've just announced, and we're part of a, a lot of museums throughout the state of Connecticut who um, received funding um, in order to make sure that we can be free to kids and families this summer. Um, the Historical Society, we've always had free admission for people under the age of 18, but now starting this summer, um, we're offering free admission not only to kids, but to at least one adult chaperone that comes with, with, um, with, with children to come visit the Historical Society. Um, so it's a great opportunity, you know, if you're looking for things to do with your family, um, come out and see us over in Cos Cobb, um, come see the exhibit, come spend time, you know, in our gardens. Um, and yeah, I think we're just hoping to see people. And um, anyway, thank you. It's been it's been great to be part of this interview. And thanks so much for having me, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Maggie Demick, you are the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society. And really, I am so very grateful to you for taking time from your very, very hectic schedule to spend some time with me and with the audience to talk about beautiful work, the art of Greenwich gardens and landscapes. It is now on view, my friends, at the Greenwich Historical Society through September 5th, 2021. This is really a fantastic exhibit. I strongly recommend that uh, that you go check it out and check out the gardens that are on the campus of the Greenwich Historical Society, Bush Holly House. My friends, you can learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Again, that's GreenwichHistory.org. And thank you for all of the valuable work that all of you are doing for our community. You know, once again, I would like to thank my very good friend, Mr. Peter F. Alexander, uh, for sponsoring today's July 
18th, 2021 Greenwich Founders Day show. Peter, you really are the best, and I want to thank you so much for your generosity and your support for this show. My friends, he's a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and, uh, and the American Planning Association. He is the principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect since 1979. Um, he is a stalwart community member, uh, somebody who was uh, very much respected, someone who I have worked with and still continue to work with even now. You can learn more about him at sitedesignassociates.com. And please call him at 203-869-8632. And please tell Peter F. Alexander that Jeffrey Bingham Mead sent you. Well, you ask... How was July 4th celebrated 100 years ago? It's a very, very good question. Well, there was record attendance at Island Beach on Sunday. That was the uh, day before July 4th, which was a Monday that year. Um, according to uh, the newspapers, there were 1,382 fares on the Island Beach boat. Believe it or not, there used to be one as early as 100 years ago. And supposedly, refreshment stands did a very good business. Well, who can who can you know dispute that? It's uh, summer and hot and everything. So that's good. Now, there was a grand carnival that was held all week on um, Greenwich Avenue. This was under the Arenico. Council of the Knights of Columbus. Now, you're going to love this. A Studebaker touring car uh, was uh, first prize in a contest that was uh, being held, if you can believe that. And some lucky soul won it. We don't know who it is, but I'm, I'm still trying to find that out for you. A boy's scooter was second prize. Uh, other prizes included a calf, yes, one of those, uh, a live one, of course. Um, also a set of dishes and an electric iron. Uh, dancing was enjoyed by many people, and a name that I think a number of you will uh, uh, recall, Judge William H. Tierney was the uh, chairman of the um, of the uh, event that year. Also, you could get fireworks from D.K. Allen's store, which was located at 4749 Greenwich Avenue. So there you go. Well, you know what? I hate to say it, but we are running very, very low on time. I don't think that we're going to have time this particular podcast to get to the to the police blotter, but I give you my word, I promise you, that uh, that we will uh, tend to that. My friends, I'll tell you, uh, you have been listening to the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show. It is a celebration of Greenwich history and culture uh, in a very special community that we call home called Greenwich, Connecticut. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead, and I am your host. You can contact me anytime at GreenwichAtownForAllSeasons at gmail.com. You can learn more more about the show at greenwichatownforallseasons.blogspot.com. My mailing address is P.O. Box 184, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06836. And I look forward to being with you once again very, very soon. So take good care. Enjoy the history. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the fact that um, masks are off and uh, and we have gone through a very, very difficult historical time, one that I think that many of us will remember for many years to come. My friends, it has been a pleasure being with you today. I thank you so much for tuning in to the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show, and I look forward to being with you soon. Take care. Bye-bye now.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show. My name is Jeffrey Binghamid, and I am your host. Now, today is July 18, 2021, Greenwich Founders Day. You know what? It was 381 years ago today that Greenwich, Connecticut, this place that we call home, was founded. I'm a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of this town, and it's my sincerest pleasure to welcome you. Whether you've been in Greenwich for 381 years, or for that matter, 381 seconds, we welcome you <laughs> with open arms. You're a part of our history. Congratulations. Now, this is one of America's most fascinating communities. Join us as we explore and celebrate an evolving understanding of our history and culture. I hope that you will find our journey together a fascinating and enjoyable one. So, my friends, without further ado, let's get started. Support is made possible by... Peter F. Alexander, you are the best. A member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association, he is the founder and principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect. He's been in business since 1979. He is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympic Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the Calf Island Conservancy here in Greenwich, Connecticut, its master plan, numerous residential projects, and really a whole lot more. I've spent some time with Peter F. Alexander. He's a very, very intelligent man, a very gregarious one, and knows a lot about landscape architecture. I have learned so much from him, and he's a terrific gentleman to do business with. You can learn more about this wonderful resident, Peter F. Alexander, who is such a mainstay here in Greenwich, at sitedesignassociates.com. That's site designassociates.com. You can also call him at 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. And please, by all means, when you do call Peter F. Alexander, be sure to mention that Jeffrey Bingham Mead sent you. Coming up on today's show. Beautiful work, the art of Greenwich gardens and landscapes is on exhibit now at the Greenwich Historical Society, 42 Strickland Road in Coscob. Beautiful work examines the fruitful and fascinating history of gardens and landscapes in Greenwich from the backyard vegetable gardens that fed for the artists of the Coscob Art Colony to grand formal gardens designed by leading landscape architects of the 20th century. Joining me today on the Talk of the Town segment is Maggie Demick. She is the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society. Now, this exhibit features original design drawings, striking photographs, and preserved botanical specimens. They are included in this exhibit, celebrating the legacy of cultivating the land in Greenwich. This is a must-see. Learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Again, learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the July 4th Independence Day holiday. I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to share with you how it was that Greenwich people celebrated the July 4 holiday 100 years ago. Have you been good? Well, I hope you have been. You know, it was 125 years ago that the Greenwich Police Department got its start and it has a very colorful history. And uh, one of the things, of course, that makes the history of town very colorful are some of the um, <clears throat> uh, not so upright things that happen. So guess what? On this program, we are going to have the historical police blotter. Yes, indeed, we are going to go back in time and we are going to share with you how it was that uh, 
things didn't go quite right, stay tuned for that. And stay good. We want to make sure that 100 years from now, people are not going to be talking about you. When it comes to Greenwich history, my friends, there's lots to see and do. And I will be sharing news with you about some of the things that have been going on, about projects that are underway, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. My friends, please put this on your calendar for the upcoming week. The Greenwich Historical Society will feature Music on the Great Lawn on Thursday, July 22nd, with a performance by Fairfield County's local cover band, Suburban Chaos, from 6 to 8 p.m. Marcia Selden Catering will provide picnics, which must be pre-ordered by Monday for Thursday's concert. Tickets are $10 for members, $20 for non-members. For more information and to make reservations, go to GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. That's GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. My friends, on this 381st Founders Day, congratulations are in order for the Greenwich Point Conservancy. Why? Well, Greenwich Free Press has reported that the Greenwich Point Conservancy has announced that on July 12th, 2021, the National Park Service listed the Greenwich Point Historic District on the National Register of Historic Places. That's fantastic news. Now, Greenwich Point Park joins six other sites in Greenwich that the National Register lists as historic districts and 28 other individual sites that are also listed on the National Register. Greenwich Point Park is the first property in Greenwich to be added to the National Register since 2014, when the River Road Mead Avenue Historic District in Cascob was listed. The Greenwich Point Conservancy, working with the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office, began the process of nominating Greenwich Point Park and its historic structures and resources in 2015, with the filing of a National Register of Historic Places registration form with Connecticut's State Historic Preservation Review Board. The nomination incorporated research, photographs, and other information regarding areas of historic significance at Greenwich Point Park, focusing on architecture, landscape architecture, archaeology, and recreation. The details of the research can be found on the website of the Greenwich Point Conservancy, which is Greenwich Point.org. Again, that's GreenwichPoint.org. In 2015, Greenwich Point Park was listed on the State Register of Historic Places, and the nomination was thereafter forwarded to the National Park Service for inclusion on the National Register. The National Register of Historic Places is the federal government's official list of districts, sites, buildings, structures, and objects deemed worthy of preservation for their historic significance. Properties listed on the state or National Register of Historic Places may qualify for special 
grants and tax incentives, and can also benefit from more flexible building codes in recognition of a property's historic value. When the Greenwich Point Conservancy was restoring the circa 1887 old barn at Greenwich, uh, at Greenwich Point, because Greenwich Point had been included on the, the State Register of Historic Places, the old barn was eligible for and received certain exemptions from FEMA requirements to, quote, lift, unquote, the building out of the flood zone. Uh, and by the way, it's reported that all of Greenwich Point is in a flood zone. The Greenwich Point Conservancy was eligible to apply for and received a $500,000 grant from the federal fund, from a federal fund, excuse me, created for the restoration of historic buildings that were damaged in Hurricane Sandy. Chris Franco, president of the Greenwich Point Conservancy, stated, and I quote, listing Greenwich Point on the National Register of Historic Places have been a goal, has been a goal of preservationists in Greenwich for a very long time. And many wonderful, dedicated people have contributed research, photographs, and other historical information to this effort. We thank all of them, and we congratulate the people of Greenwich for this wonderful recognition of our beautiful and historic Greenwich Point. We also thank the Connecticut State Historic Preservation Office for their significant role in achieving the National Register listing. Unquote. In today's edition of the Greenwich Time, Ken Borsick reports that it was a momentous day for the Putnam Hill chapter of the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution, as it was announced that visitors are once again welcomed at the Putnam Cottage and Knapp Tavern Museum for tours by appointment. Congratulations! The chapter and the Israel Putnam House Association met at the Belhaven Club on June 17 to hold its election, conduct a regular meeting of business, and to serve a luncheon. Nearly 50 women from the Greenwich area attended, including new and prospective members. The guest speaker, Lee Kennedy, gave an informative presentation on the history of the American flag, and there was a welcome for the newly elected and installed board member, Bronwyn Rockefeller. The new board was also elected and installed for the Israel Putnam House Association with Dorothy Darlington as president, Barbara Sweetman Wolf as treasurer, Molly Cocoruda as secretary, and Evelyn Roberts, Gail Citarella, Victoria Hammett, and Cynthia Olson Gates as counselors. Now, the DAR also put out a call for m new members. Membership is open to all women 18 years or older who can prove lineal descent from a patriot of the American Revolution. Interested women should contact Registrar Joan Marshall Kresep at jmcesqny at aol.com or by calling Katie Sumner at area code 203-637-5789. Again, that's 203-637-5789.
Welcome to Talk of the Town on the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Here we engage in intimate conversation and commentary with Greenwich's movers and shakers in the areas of history, education, and historic preservation. We are privileged today to have Peter F. Alexander as the title sponsor of our show. He is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association. He is the principal at Site Design Associates. You can learn more at sitedesignassociates.com. You can call Peter F. Alexander at 203-869-8632. Again, you can contact him through sitedesignassociates.com or call 203-869-8632. My friends, beautiful work. The art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes is now on exhibit at the Greenwich Historical Society and will be until September 5th. 2021. Beautiful Work examines the fruitful and fascinating history of gardens and landscapes in Greenwich, from backyard vegetable gardens that fed for the artists of the Cascabart colony to grand formal gardens designed by leading landscape architects of the 20th century. Original design drawings, striking photographs, and preserved botanical specimens are included in this exhibition celebrating the legacy of cultivating the land in Greenwich. Well, I will tell you that I am very privileged today to welcome Maggie Demick to the show. She is the Greenwich Historical Society's curator, and we're so delighted to have her with us today. Maggie, welcome to the show and for taking your valuable time to be with us. Tell us about yourself, your background, and your role with the Greenwich Historical Society. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show and to be able to talk about our latest exhibition at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, I am the curator of exhibitions and collections at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, And what that means is I'm responsible for overseeing our program of rotating exhibitions in our museum and library building where we have two galleries, one of which is dedicated to our permanent collection of artworks um, and museum objects um, from our permanent collection. Um, we specialize in, in collecting and interpreting the history of the Coscob art colony um, that's associated with the Bush Holly House, of course, um, as well as, as sort of telling a broader story of Greenwich history through um, various historic objects and photographs, archival collections, uh, museum collections. Um, but I oversee um, our primarily our rotating exhibition program, so that means um, different exhibits that we have in our special exhibitions gallery in the museum building. Um, but my other, the other side of my job is overseeing and sort of caring for our museum collection. So we have we have an archival collection that my colleague Christopher Shields, who's our curator of archives, oversees in our archives and library space. Um, I'm responsible for the care and, and um, interpretation of our museum collection. So that includes um, artworks, fine and decorative arts, um, all of the furnishings and artworks that are on view in the Bush Holly House a Historic House Museum, um, as well as collection objects that are not on view. So we, like a lot of institutions, have a lot of objects in our collections that are in storage. Um, these are textiles, historic costume, furniture, tools, farming implements, um, artworks, you know, fine art, uh, works on paper, paintings, 
um, all sorts of things. So I, um, I, I really deal with, with things. So I'm, I deal as a curator and a collections manager with our collection uh, objects, and then also get to work with um, sometimes guest curators who uh, do work in our galleries, but also I, I curate shows as well. And in fact, the, the show that we're talking about today, um, Beautiful Work, The Art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes, is a show that I curated. Um, and it's primarily drawn from pieces from our permanent collection um, with a couple of, of um, individual key loans that are helping us tell that story. What was the genesis of this exhibit and who are its sponsors and underwriters? Um, so the idea for the exhibition has been one um, that's that's been in the air here at the Historical Society for several years. Uh, I've been here in my role for about 18 months. Um, and even when I was kind of new to the job, we were talking about the idea for this show um, and having a, a major interest in speaking to this legacy of grand garden design in the early 20th century at many of these, you know, very gracious estates that, that bubbled up around Greenwich um, in those early decades of the 20th century and late 19th century. Um, and that's a story that I think we knew we could tell through design drawings, through blueprints, historic photographs, um, pieces from our archival collections. Um, but gradually, as we kind of shaped the idea, and as I thought, you know, from a curator's perspective about how to tell a broader story that wasn't necessarily focused exclusively on, you know, grand country estates and, and landscape design. Um, it, it's an idea that really grew to encompass a broader topic of, of cultivating land um, in this partic particular area. Um, and this transition from 18th century family farms to 20th century estates, uh, summer vacation properties. Um, I should say we're also, you know, as part of this show and something that I was really interested in foregrounding is talking about the history of our own gardens at the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, the ones that you can see today if you come visit the museum and our, our historic campus. Um, and in particular, how we've interpreted our landscape and gardens, taking cues from what we know about the vegetable gardens and the flower gardens that were cultivated, um, particularly by the Holly family, the Holly and McRae families, uh, who lived here in the late 19th, early 20th centuries at the Bush Holly House, um, what we now interpret as the Bush Holly House um, as a historic house museum. The Hollies, of course, were operating the boarding house, um, which was really kind of the center of the Koskop art colony of American Impressionist painting um, that we now are, are so familiar with. Um, and crucially, I think that um, this exhibition kind of then became, uh, became an opportunity to look at artworks that were inspired by that garden that the Hollies cultivated. Um, but also kind of looking at some of those primary sources, whether it's it's photographs or artworks or journals or ledgers or diaries that kind of give us an idea um, of what those gardens looked like and, and have shaped the way that we've planted them and designed them today. Um, the show has been really generously supported by um, a couple of organizations locally here and then some key individuals, and that includes the Overhills Foundation, Charles Hilton Architects, um, who've been a great supporter of a lot of projects that we've been doing here at the Historical Society, um, and then also um, Fred Landman and Elise and Paul Tallman, who are both uh, big supporters of, of gardens, garden histories, and obviously um, 
great promoters of, of a love of gardens here in our community. In the spotlight on the archives section of the Greenwich Historical Society's latest newsletter, it mentioned some details of the research conducted for this exhibit. And I was wondering, Maggie, if you would share some details with us. Um, well, that's a great question. And actually, I think it's, um, it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about the kind of uh, collaborative process that often goes into putting an exhibition together. Um, this is a show that I I had undertaken um, and curated. It was it's as I had mentioned it's it's sort of been in in germination for a long time. We knew that we had a lot of interesting objects or archival resources and and design drawings, architectural plans that could tell a story of, of gardens and garden design in Greenwich, um, especially in our archives. Um, so I, I went into this knowing a bit about that and sort of having a background in, in the history of, of estate architecture and, and some gardening history in the late 19th, early 20th century in this, this era of kind of the great country place, um, especially among the wealthy a place like Greenwich, which obviously attracted a lot of um, very wealthy businessmen and their families. Um, but I, I really found out a lot that I didn't know, or I, I should say that I was able to connect with a lot of material in our collection that, that we didn't really necessarily even know that we had or, or put two and two together um, before working on this exhibit. And I was really assisted in a lot of ways by um, two of my co-workers, uh, Kelsey Dalton and Leslie Albemont, who are both working with uh, Christopher Shields, our archivist, on a big project to both uh, process um, some major collections in the in the archives that hadn't yet be, been processed before, and then also scan and digitize those collection objects, um, primarily photographs, but also real estate records um, having to do with Greenwich properties going back to the early 20th century. Um, so in the process, Kelsey and Leslie have been finding a lot of things, you know, architectural plans, landscape plans. Um, we found um, Leslie had come across at one point uh, a garden design that was put together by the Olmsted Brothers firm for an architect that uh, lived in Greenwich in the 1920s that I don't think any of us had ever seen before. Um, which kind of led down a rabbit hole of research into not just work um, that the Olmsted Brothers had done um, as as designers or or um, working with clients in Greenwich, but also some of the gardeners and landscape um, professionals that they worked with here, um, which kind of gave an opportunity to talk about um, that aspect of of garden design, not just the ones that are designing it from you know an office from afar, but really getting their hands dirty and actually executing these designs. Um, we were also coming across a lot of great photographs of properties and gardens, some of which were designed by really prominent garden designers of the early 20th century. Um, Ellen Biddle Shipman, Marion Kruger Coffin, um, both of whom did a lot of uh, gardens that we knew about, um, especially Shipman gardens that were here in Greenwich, but um, weren't necessarily photographed or, or the photographs may not have been published before. Um, and it was sort of exciting to unearth some of these things and, and use them as a way of kind of um, generating ideas for what we were going to cover in the show. 
Um, so that process of, of diving into the collections and, and finding new things and thinking about how they can help tell a story is always the part that's really exciting. And it's, it's fun to be able to work with, um, with other people in that process, for sure. For generations, gardening has held a prominent place in Greenwich's history and local culture. And of course, you can't garden without tools, right? So Maggie, would you talk to us about some of the garden tools that are on display? We've got some great tools. Not all of them are strictly gardening tools. Many of them were actually used um, in, in farming. Um, but the Greenwich Historical Society has a, a pretty extensive tool collection. And in the exhibit, we were able to put together what I think is a, a really cool display of uh, you know, cutting tools like scythes and corn knives, um, hay forks, rakes, grain shovels, um, all of which were were dating to many of them the mid to late 19th century. Many of them were handmade, hand carved from in some cases, uh, or in the case of that grain shovel I mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, a single piece of wood. A lot of these tools that we have in our collections have ties to particular 19th century family farms. Um, for example, the Oliver Mead Farm on Field Point. Um, and that house, the, the Oliver D. Mead House, as it's often called, which dates to the late 18th century, is still standing today in, in what is today part of the Belhaven neighborhood. Um, so one thing, for example, you can see in the show is a 19th century corn sheller that came from the barn of that Mead family farm. Um, and the corn sheller is this this really pretty big contraption. It's like a big box, and there's a, a large cast iron crank uh, and a set of of gears. Um, so basically, it's it's one of these tools that you could use. You'd throw a corn on the cob in the top, and it um, when you turn the crank, it removes the corn and spits out the empty cob. Um, you know, some of these are just beautiful objects to be able to see sort of in a in a gallery context. We also have a great cider press. Um, in the show, you know, I, Greenwich being such a center for apple production, especially in that, that period of late 19th, early 20th century. Um, in particular, um, the, the types of apples that were often grown in Greenwich were particularly good for cider making. Um, so, so the cider press and, and some of those sort of accoutrements that go with that really speak to that part of a agricultural history um, here, here locally, and which kind of undergirds a lot of what we're talking about. <clears throat> excuse me, in, in getting on to um, garden design um, on a different kind of scale um, in the early 20th century. My friends, you are listening to Talk of the Town on the Greenwich of Town for All Seasons show with Jeffrey Bingham-Mead. That's me, your host. And we are talking with Maggie Demick. She is the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society. And we are talking about its current exhibition, Beautiful Work, The Art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes, which is on view at the Greenwich Historical Society until September 5th, 2021. You can learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Today's show is generously sponsored and underwritten by Peter F. Alexander. He is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association. He is the principal at SiteDesignAssociates.com. You can learn more at SiteDesignAssociates.com or call 203-869-8632. Maggie, it seems to me that that in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, gardening and horticulture became more professionalized. 
that coincides with the Great Estates era. Am I correct about that? If you would, talk to us about some of the outstanding landscape designs and designers that are featured in this exhibit. So that's very true. The profession of landscape design and landscape architecture, as we know it today, really came into being in those last few decades of the 19th century. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with Frederick Law Olmsted, um, who's often considered the father of American landscape architecture. Um, Olmsted really rose to prominence in the 1860s when he and a partner, Calvert Vox, produced the design that was used uh, for New York's Central Park, um, and they really directed that project and had a major hand in its execution. Olmsted was actually from Connecticut. He was born in Hartford. Um, but he based his company up in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. And Olmsted himself never designed any parks or landscapes here in Greenwich, but his son, Frederick Law Olmsted Jr., did. Uh, in fact, both of Olmsted's sons carried on his legacy, and their firm, which was called the Olmsted Brothers, became really the foremost landscape architectural business in the country um, from the first decade of the 1900s well into the 1950s. And that era really coincides with the period when Greenwich was seeing many of these, you know, these newly moneyed New York businessmen and financiers, industrialists who were coming to town. They were hiring fashionable architects to build these gracious country estate homes um, in a style that's often borrowing from European precedent. And many of those folks were eager to hire these fashionable landscape architects to execute extensive formal gardens or sometimes just to shape the land that was surrounding their home into this, you know, what what both they and these these landscape designers envisioned as kind of a pastoral refuge from the urban environment. So the Olmsted brothers uh, had several commissions in Greenwich in the 19-teens, 1920s. I think a lot of folks know that they laid out the landscaping and the uh, basically the the sort of whole shape of the land in the exclusive subdivision called Cackham Wood um, here in Greenwich. But uh, what I think might might not be as widely known is that the Olmsted brothers were commissioned by Greenwich's board of selectmen in the 1920s to design a waterfront park at Greenwich Harbor. If you come to the exhibit, what you'll be able to see are, um, I think, a really cool set of drawings that the Olmsted office prepared to basically sell the town officials on this plan that they've concocted. And this consisted of proposals for incorporating, for example, a, a big waterfront bandstand, these meandering walking paths that would go along the water, um, the European-inspired rows of trees along the harbor front. Um, all of this would extend and connect down to the train station. Um, so sadly, the plans never actually came to fruition. I mean, the stock market crash in 1929 really slowed down all of those plans for development um, and really kind of ground to a halt. Um, but the, I should say, you know, I've, I've spoken about the Olmsted brothers quite a bit, um, but they're far from the only landscape architects who are working in Greenwich in the early 20th century. Um, so again, if you, if you do come to see the show, you'll see some beautiful layout drawings, sketches, um, beautifully illustrated, um, you know, hand-drawn pencil renderings of uh, designs by uh, some of these really sort of greats of the field, folks like Warren Manning and Bryant Fleming. Um, in particular, uh, Manning and Fleming were both um, working at various points on a private estate that was owned here in Greenwich uh, by Elon Huntington Hooker and his wife Blanche Ferry Hooker. 
Um, this is a, a, home, a home that they called Chelmsford. <clears throat> and there's some just absolutely gorgeous design drawings for that, for that project that we've got here on display. Uh, you can also see photographs and architectural plans for the estate in Is Arden. And this, of course, is the, the home, the really beautiful sort of idiosyncratic home that was built for J. Kennedy Todd on the piece of land um, that's even now today often called Todd's Point, now the, the beachfront park that's, um, that's officially called Greenwich Point. And in that case, the, the noted landscape designer, <clears throat> excuse me, Marion Kruger Coffin, designed a beautiful garden um, overlooking Long Island Sound for the Todds in about 1920. Um, Coffin uh, is, is a fascinating figure, and she's one of several American women who gained prominence working in the field of landscape architecture. Um, you know, others that people may have heard of, for example, are Ellen Biddle Shipman, who also designed landscapes and gardens for clients in Greenwich, um, Beatrix Farrand. Uh, garden design and landscape architecture was certainly a field where women of this era, or, or at least, you know, women of a certain socioeconomic class, uh, found that it was possible to actually cultivate a professional career. Um, in an era when it was still pretty novel for women to be able to support themselves or hold, you know, a prominent role in, in the business field. Um, so that's absolutely, I think, an interesting facet of, of the history of this era um, and, and the people who are practicing landscape architecture um, at this time. As the headquarters of the American Impressionist Art Colony, Bush Holly House was the setting for fine examples of artistic expression. Um, and I was wondering how that was represented in this exhibit. Absolutely. So um, I would say really um, the that important legacy of the Bush Holly House as a place that has such great significance in the history of American art, particularly American Impressionist art. Um, it's so often in the forefront of, of our interpretation here at the Greenwich Historical Society, and that's certainly the case in this exhibit too. Um, I had mentioned that the Holly family were dedicated gardeners, and so we know that they maintained a really extensive vegetable garden um, behind the, the house, um, what they referred to as the old house, which we sometimes refer to as the Holly House, or, or today, obviously, it's the Bush Holly House. Um, so we know a bit about this garden. Um, we, can, we can see it in photographs um, of the time. We actually, in the exhibit, you'll be able to see um, some, some diaries that were maintained by Edward Holly um, that actually record what they were planting in that garden, when they were harvesting from the garden, um, they really relied on that garden to supplement the meals that they were preparing for either their boarding guests or or sometimes you know other folks who were who were staying in Coscob locally who would come and take meals at the boarding house. Um, and this is a garden that can be seen depicted in several artworks um, on exhibit as part of this show. Um, one of those is a pastel drawing by the noted impressionist artist Child Hassam who was a frequent guest and a boarder uh, with the Hollies and, and was quite close with the Holly family. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful pastel that actually is depicting not, not just the gardens, but also the, um, the sort of chicken yard. Um, so the kind of, you know, the sort of backyard where, where um, they were, you know, they had animals, they had, they had gardens back here. Um, and it's just, you know, it's one of these kind of beautiful kind of pastel studies dated to about 1902. Um, by Hassam. So that's something that people can see in the exhibit. 
Um, another is a painting by Elmer Livingston McRae um, that shows a view of the gardens and especially the grape arbor that stood behind the Holly House. And that same, well, well not the same arbor itself, but those same grape vines um, are still there today. Uh, the arbor has been reconstructed. Um, in fact, just recently, a few years ago, we undertook a major reconstruction of the grape arbor to hold up those, in some cases, 100-year-old conquered grape vines. Um, Elmer McRae, uh, the painter I mentioned, uh, was a student of John Henry Twachtman's, the, the, the noted Impressionist painter Twachtman, who, who lived here in Greenwich um, and who basically really kind of started what we now refer to as the Coscob colony, um, because he began bringing students out from his classes at New York's Art Students League. Um, they would come out, often taking the train, um, during the summers to do summer painting courses that Twachtman would lead, and many of them would, would board with the Hollies um, at the, the Holly House. And Elmer McRae was one of these students, um, but he, in fact, after, after coming out here for several summers, he got to know and then really fell in love with uh, the Hollies' daughter, Constant Holly. Um, and he, uh, he married Constant Holly in 1900, uh, moved here, this became his home, um, and really he and Constant took over eventually the running of the family's boarding house. Um, so Constant really kind of took over the the feeding and, and taking care of everyone and keeping the house. Um, Elmer was, you know, continued to, to paint, um, uh, to work in pastels. He actually, as I'll get into I think a little bit later, um, got into furniture making as well, but he was, he was obviously... Um, called upon to, to help with the, the running of the boarding house as well, especially in cultivating the family's gardens. Um, but another thing I should mention, if you, if you come to the exhibit, you'll be able to see some of Elmer's floral studies. Um, so he really became fascinated with floral painting, um, painting flowers in, in a very Japanese-inspired manner, you know, often in watercolor, he produced really hundreds of these floral studies, um, several of which we have in our collections today in the in the historical society. And in in this way, he was you know I mentioned he was clearly inspired by Japanese brush painting, but in this regard, I think he was definitely influenced by a fellow artist and a friend uh, by the name of Genjiro Yeto, who was a Japanese painter, a Japanese artist who had uh, come to the United States in the 1890s and eventually found himself in New York, where he, he also became a student um, alongside Elmer McRae at the Art Students League. So he was studying with Twachtman. He was coming out um, to Cos Cobb. He was, he was staying at the Holly House. He was very much um, you know, one of the, the artists who really kind of made up this, this group of artists that, that were the core of this art colony. Um, and we actually have a, a couple of beautiful uh, floral studies by Genjiro Yeto, which are on display as part of this show alongside Elmer McRae's floral studies. Um, just, I think, to, to give a sense of, of how they were looking at one another's work um, and sort of where these ideas were coming from. Um, so obviously both of them kind of drawing inspiration from the garden from from the outdoors um and i think it just sort of speaks to that that back and forth when we talk about you know artistic creativity versus the sort of design 
uh, creativity that goes into putting together a garden. There's obviously kind of a, a synergy and a, a conversation there. And I think it's something we're encouraging people to think about in the show. Tell us about the dried botanical specimens that you have in the exhibit. Yeah, those um, those botanical specimens, I think, are, are one of the really exciting things to be able to come and see um, in the show. For those who have an opportunity to come see the gallery, see the show in person, I think they'll they'll really find them, or at least I hope they'll find them interesting. Um, there, there's a great story behind those in that they were actually discovered uh, by historical society staff or volunteers in the late 1980s in an attic space in the Bush Holly House. Um, so at the time they had been, uh, they were, there were, I should, I should sort of backtrack a bit and say that we have about a half dozen of these specimens that are on view right now in the gallery, but these come from a larger collection of close to 50 dried, uh, pressed and, and now mounted botanical specimens. Um, and as I said, they were discovered in a, in a closet in the attic. Um, at the time that they were discovered, they had been pressed between newspapers. Um, and the newspapers were dated between, I believe, 1892 and 1894, which gave, you know, at least an approximate uh, date for when we think that they were they were collected and pressed. And all signs point towards them having been collected by Constant Holly McRae. Or at the time, this would have been Constant Holly because this would have been before her marriage to the artist, Elma McRae. Um, Constant was the daughter of, of Edward and Josephine Holly, who were the, the owners of and proprietors of the, the boarding house that they operated out of um, the, the house that we now interpret at the, as the Bush Holly House. Um, and while they, were, while they were running that boarding house, of course, it became, um, as we were talking before, the sort of center for the, the Coscob art colony. Um, Constant Holly, we know, was interested in, in botany. She was taking some botanical courses when she was younger. Um, and so it really stands to reason that she was, she was the one who was out there uh, collecting these um, various plant specimens, um, all of which seem to have been collected somewhere in the vicinity of Coscob. Um, you know, all of these are, are specimens that would have been found just sort of in, in this um, pretty hyper-local region at the time. Um, they were, once they were discovered, they were actually mounted onto herbarium paper very carefully um, by, a, by a botanist who was um, uh, helping the historical society, um, but she was actually based at the Bartlett Arboretum in Stamford. Um, so they're beautifully mounted. Each of them are identified by their um, scientific name, um, and so today they're presented in a very professional way. Um, when they were discovered, they weren't, they weren't really mounted in that same way, but they were, they were beautifully preserved, having been, you know, protected from, from sunlight, um, and given some, given some level of protection by being in a, in a closet. Um, but they're, they're just completely, I mean, you can imagine they're so fragile, you know, they're really, really special, but we're, we're always kind of concerned about um, how much handling they, they have or they see how much light they're exposed to. Um, so to be able to have them out for this show is really kind of a treat. Um, Maggie, when I visited the exhibit, I was fascinated by the projected images on hand-tinted glass lantern slides. And I was wondering if you would talk to us about these, please. Uh, well, I'm really glad that you asked about those. Uh, because I do think they're really a unique part of the exhibition. 
Um, certainly, you know, one thing that, that I was concerned about and, and the exhibit design team that we work with, um, I think also had some, some concerns about was that, you know, in, in dealing with a topic that's so, you know, lush and kind of interesting and, and full of life as, as, you know, gardens and, and, and the outdoors, um, sometimes when you're displaying objects or especially displaying archival material, it can start to feel kind of dry you know, very uh, paper-based. Um, and so we thought it was really essential to kind of bring a sense of color and life and the outdoors to the exhibit. And certainly, you know, anyone who who's doing research into especially historic garden design um, in, and, and looking at uh, the sort of legacy of early 20th century landscape architecture on a, on a very grand scale, um, at some point you're going to encounter some of these beautiful hand-tinted glass lantern slides which um, in the 19-teens and 1920s were kind of one of the most reliable and became a very typical way of recording um, what these gardens that were, that were, you know, coming up on these great estates really looked like. Um, you know, this is an era that kind of predates, you know, what we consider modern color photography. Um, the Garden Club of America had uh, amassed basically a huge collection of these um, these these hand tinted glass lantern slides of American gardens. Um, basically, put together a, a library that was often used by you know garden experts or garden clubs um, to put together you know illustrated lectures for their membership, talking about garden design across the country. Um, you know, there there are many people out there who who came to be you know experts in American gardens who would who would lecture on this topic. You know, they were really in demand among American garden clubs, among you know museums or other civic groups. Um, and so, the Garden Club of America's collection of these slides, you know, which numbers into the thousands, is now part of the Smithsonian Institution. And so, even now today, um, you can find online if you if you go searching through the Smithsonian's digital collections. A lot of these um, these these lantern slides, they're all organized by location. Um, and that was really a big resource for us, just kind of trying to find, you know, color images of some of these gardens that I was researching here in Greenwich um, and trying to, to include those in the exhibition. And the idea was, let's actually sort of use them in the way that they were meant to be seen, which is projected um, you know, we're not using an actual, you know, uh, a lantern projector where we, you know, we have digitized versions of these images that we're using a modern, you know, digital projector to, to put up on a sort of a, a custom screen. But we thought it would just be kind of another layer of, of, um, of imagery and kind of um, atmospheric background. And some of the images that are actually projected in the gallery, um, it's, it'll cycle through different, different imagery, you know, as you're there visiting. A lot of these are, are actual Greenwich subjects, you know. In one case, we, we have um, a couple of beautiful images of the uh, estate that I had mentioned earlier, Chelmsford, um, which was the home of Elon Huntington Hooker. And it was beautifully photographed by a photographer by the name of Francis Benjamin Johnston um, in about 1914. And Johnston was a, a notable photographer who, who became quite famous, not only for her garden photographs, but also for um, just, you know, sort of portrait photography. She photographed a lot of, you know, writers and politicians and other celebrities of her era. 
and her glass lantern slides, which she um, she often herself was was an in demand lecturer. She would, she would tour, the, tour the country and give these um, lectures on American gardens. All of her slides are now in the collection of the Library of Congress, and once again, you can find those online. They've been beautifully digitized. Um, so we have some of her slides that are included in that group. Um, we also have um, images of the the gardens of a woman named Alice Lockwood. Um, who lived in Greenwich. In fact, she was at one point a, a president of the Greenwich Garden Club. Um, Lockwood was one of the leading authorities in the early 20th century on the history of American gardens. In fact, she published a book in 1931 called Gardens of Colony and State, which, you know, it's, it's one of these large, you know, thousand page, um, you know, tomes on, on the sort of the, the research that she put into kind of putting together documentation about these large estate gardens going back to the 18th century and then in the, the, the United States and the American colonies. Um, it's still really one of the kind of um, leading uh, resources on garden history. Um, and Lockwood lived here in Greenwich, and, and so we've got some images of her gardens that are included um, in that group of, of color photographs that you can see projected in the gallery. Tell us about some of the other interesting objects displayed, such as the garden furniture. I think it's great that you singled um, those pieces out, uh, in particular those, those pieces of garden furniture. Um, this is an exhibit that offered us, you know, from a curatorial perspective, a great opportunity to display some really unique objects from our collections. So these, um, these pieces of furniture that you mentioned includes um, a large, almost, really almost throne-like painted chair, um, which, is, which is made of carved wood, it's painted white, and then it's um, also further decorated with a, a very sort of elaborate painted floral motif. Um, it was designed, it was built and painted by the artist Elmer Livingston McRae, who I'd mentioned before, of course. Um, and also with that chair, we're also displaying a really kind of special, very small two-person bench. Um, this is also by, by Elmer McRae, a bench that was built and carved by McRae. And in fact, it features, um, it's kind of a simple design, but on the on the back rail of the bench, there are a series of relief carvings that depict um, a set of cats, um, little cats that are kind of playing with one another. And uh, both of these pieces of furniture we know were meant for outdoor use. In fact, we have uh, photographs, or at least one photo, of that cat bench, or a bench that looks very much like it, um, placed on the rear porch of the Bush Holly House. Um, and it's a photograph that's probably from the maybe late 19, 19 teens or early 1920s. Um, and we also know that painted chair um, that we're displaying, that the chair with the floral motifs, is one of several that McRae made um, in the 1920s and 30s. Um, and in fact, if any of your listeners have ever been to the Bush Holly House or visited um, before and, and gone on a tour, they would have had an opportunity to see um, a number of, of wood carvings, um, you know, sort of sculptural wooden pieces or, or items of furniture that the artist Elmer McRae had made. Um, we know that McRae, especially later in life, um, sort of got a lot more interested in woodworking um, as well as painting. I mean, he's, he's someone that we kind of consider, you know, often a painter or pastel artist, but... Um, you know, he really kind of branched out into other forms of, of handicraft later in life and probably influenced by, for example, the American arts and crafts movement, just this this kind of interest in, in 
um, applying, you know, some of his his artistic ideas to other forms of of uh, of making, including furniture making and wood carving. Um, so I think that that aspect of his life, and then also just that um, kind of eye towards um, existing with the outdoors and kind of bringing the outside in and the inside out, I think are, are kind of represented in our show with those two furniture examples. Maggie, as we start to close, I was wondering if you would spend a moment or two and share some details about the guided outdoor historic site and landscape tour. Well, the site and landscape tour is a, a, new, a new project that we really piloted last summer. Um, so we were developing this essentially because um, last summer when uh, even even as we were able to start reopening to the public after you know our closure in the spring of 2020 due to the pandemic, um, last summer we were still suspending tours of the Bush Holly House just out of COVID concerns. Um, and we really wanted to offer some kind of alternative visitor experience. And what we developed was a guided tour that spoke to that history of the Coscob Lower Landing and the Bush family's mercantile business in the era of the Revolutionary War, as well as the Holly family's boarding house and the emergence of the Coscob Art Colony. Which, and of course, these are these are sort of aspects of, of local history that under different circumstances, visitors would have gotten during a visit to the Bush Holly House. Um, so, so that's that was really the genesis of the tour. Um, but we we got a lot of great response, and I think that it was something that we wanted to continue this summer. And it's a great accompaniment to visiting the exhibit, um, our garden exhibit, since our docents, um, our docent tour guides on that landscape tour are really able to give visitors a background on the historic gardens and the plantings that are today on our site surrounding the Bush Holly House that um, really kind of have in and of themselves a historic nature. So for example, we have, you know, grapevines, conquered grapevines on a, a, our grape arbor that some of which date back to about, you know, 100 years old, uh, because they were, we know that some of them at least were planted by the Hollies or the McRae's. Um, but we also have really beautiful heirloom vegetable gardens that are planted based on, you know, the location and what we know about the, the Hollies gardens. Um, also beautiful floral gardens that are really kind of trying to, uh, they're planned today in order to kind of evoke that really, um, you know, sort of free, um, un, you know, informal, uh, uh, almost cottage style garden that was really popular among someone, you know, like Constant Holly McRae of that era. It's sort of very popular um, as a subject for, for a lot of these impressionist artists who are staying with the Hollies. Um, and one thing I will say is that visitors who come to the site today, um, be sure to pick up, we have a beautiful new publication, basically a, a guide to our historic gardens and landscapes. It's a a really nice brochure that we put together especially for this summer. It gives a little bit of historic background on the interpretation of our gardens today, um, but there's also a lovely map inside that kind of um, indicates where on the site you can see different garden spaces, um, gives a little bit of identification to, for example, some of the fruit trees that are that are on the site today. Um, and it's just, I think it's, it's a really nice way of giving yourself even kind of a self-guided version of that landscape tour that we've been offering. As we conclude, what is the takeaway for visitors you and the Greenwich Historical Society are striving for? What is the takeaway? 
Uh, you know, I, I can speak for myself in saying that this exhibit, you know, just from a research perspective um, and planning perspective, is something that was birthed, you know, during quarantine, you know, during a, a pandemic year. Um, and I know that a lot of us, you know, were forced to kind of reassess how we spend our time, how we interact with others. Um, I think a lot of people turned inward and, and, you know, I think a lot of people really got into gardening or, or, you know, making the most of time that was spent at home and kind of digging into, literally digging into the dirt of their yards, maybe starting a vegetable garden or, or just getting, you know, a lot more into the, the plantings around their, their property if they, if they have it, or even just sort of cultivating maybe a little balcony garden. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, putting an exhibit together that's that's on a, a topic like this is always an opportunity to kind of find connections in the past. And I think that, you know, with the, the diversity of material and, and different kind of uh, perspectives about gardening or interaction with with the outdoors or with landscape, whether it's from the perspective of a landscape architect um, or or an artist who's kind of you know deriving subject matter or inspiration from you know a, a cultivated garden. Um, there are a lot of different ways that we're seeing where people kind of find meaning um, in the outdoors and in in that garden space. And I think that's that's something that we can really relate to today. And that's really what this is about, you know, is, is drawing a meaningful connection to the past and kind of being able to see oneself in the past and then and then develop a better understanding of, of the present day. Um, so I would say, you know, this anyone who has an interest in gardening and horticulture, I think will find a lot to be interested in in this exhibition. Um, but even if you kind of don't think that 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 is you if you don't necessarily have that background interest, but do have an interest in history, I think there'll be something um, for you to delve into. Um, and, and being able to kind of think about the outdoors and think about the outside was, was something that was certainly an inspiration for me while working on this show. And I hope it, um, it comes across in the exhibit. The last words are yours. Any final comments? All right. Uh, any final comments? Uh, I would say um, certainly we're looking forward to seeing people visit this summer at the historical societies. There's a lot of opportunities to visit this summer. Um, not only to view the exhibit, but we're also every other Wednesday, we're holding a, a series of these really great tavern markets, which are kind of a combination farmers and artisan markets that are taking place in our lobby and in the, the tavern garden just outside the lobby. Um, and then also this summer, we're continuing um, what was also a new project that, that came into fruition last year, which is our summer concert series on the Great Lawn. Um, and so these feature, you know, live music from a bunch of great local artists. People can bring a picnic and a blanket or chairs um, and enjoy a nice, a nice music uh, event under the stars or, or sort of there in the in the gardens. Um, so lots of opportunities to come. Um, the thing I, I want to mention is um, we've just announced and we're part of a, a lot of museums throughout the state of Connecticut who um, received funding um, in order to make sure that we can be free to kids and families this summer. Um, the Historical Society, we've always had free admission for people under the age of 18, but now starting this summer, um, 
we're offering free admission not only to kids but to at least one adult chaperone that comes with with um with with children to come visit the historical society um so it's a great opportunity you know if you're looking for things to do with your family um come out and see us over in Cos Cobb um come see the exhibit come spend time you know in our gardens um and yeah I think we're just hoping to see people and um Anyway, thank you. It's been it's been great to be part of this interview, and thanks so much for having me, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure. Maggie Demick, you are the curator of the Greenwich Historical Society, and really, I am so very grateful to you for taking time from your very, very hectic schedule to spend some time with me and with the audience to talk about beautiful work, the art of Greenwich Gardens and Landscapes. It is now on view, my friends, at the Greenwich Historical Society through September 5th, 2021. This is really a fantastic exhibit. I strongly recommend that uh, that you go check it out and check out the gardens that are on the campus of the Greenwich Historical Society, Bush Holly House. My friends, you can learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Again, that's GreenwichHistory.org. And thank you for all of the valuable work that all of you are doing for our community. You know, once again, I would like to thank my very good friend, Mr. Peter F. Alexander, uh, for sponsoring today's July 18th, 2021 Greenwich Founders Day show. Peter, you really are the best, and I want to thank you so much for your generosity and your support for this show. My friends, he's a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and, uh, and the American Planning Association. He is the principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architects since 1979. Um, he is a stalwart community member, uh, somebody who was uh, very much respected, someone who I have worked with and still continue to work with even now. You can learn more about him at sitedesignassociates.com and please call him at 203-869-8632 and please tell Peter F. Alexander that Jeffrey Bingham Mead sent you. Well, you ask... How was July 4th celebrated 100 years ago? It's a very, very good question. Well, there was record attendance at Island Beach on Sunday. That was the uh, day before July 4th, which was a Monday that year. Um, According to uh, the newspapers, there were 1,382 fares on the Island Beach boat. Believe it or not, there used to be one as early as 100 years ago. And supposedly, refreshment stands did a very good business. Well, who can can, dispute that? It's uh, summer and hot and everything. So that's good. Now, there was a grand carnival that was held all week on um, Greenwich Avenue. This was under the Arenico. Council of the Knights of Columbus. Now, you're going to love this. A Studebaker touring car uh, was uh, first prize in a contest that was uh, being held, if you can believe that. And some lucky soul won it. We don't know who it is, but I'm, I'm still trying to find that out for you. A boy's scooter was second prize. Uh, other prizes included a calf, yes, one of those, uh, a live one, of course. Um, also a set of dishes and an electric iron. Uh, dancing was enjoyed by many people, and a name that I think a number of you will uh, uh, recall, Judge William H. Tierney, was the uh, chairman of the um, of the uh, event that year. Also, you could get fireworks from D.K. Allen's store, which was located at 4749 Greenwich Avenue. So there you go. 
Well, you know what? I hate to say it, but we are running very, very low on time. I don't think that we're going to have time this particular podcast to get to the to the police blotter, but I give you my word, I promise you, that uh, that we will uh, tend to that. My friends, I'll tell you, uh, you have been listening to the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show. It is a celebration of Greenwich history and culture uh, in a very special community that we call home called Greenwich, Connecticut. My name is Jeffrey Bingham Mead, and I am your host. You can contact me anytime at GreenwichAtownForAllSeasons at gmail.com. You can learn more about the show at greenwichatownforallseasons.blogspot.com. My mailing address is P.O. Box 184, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06836. And I look forward to being with you once again very, very soon. So take good care. Enjoy the history. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the fact that um, masks are off and uh, And we have gone through a very, very difficult historical time, one that I think that many of us will remember for many years to come. My friends, it has been a pleasure being with you today. I thank you so much for tuning in to the Greenwich of Town for All Seasons show, and I look forward to being with you soon. Take care. Bye-bye now.